This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed, your weekly hour of mystery, which you can find every Wednesday at relicradio.com. Our first story this week comes from the adventures of Philip Marlowe. We'll hear his story from October 24th, 1948, titled The Heart of Gold. After that, it's The Crime Club and Hearses Don't Hurry, their episode from June 19th, 1947. When I got the crisp $50 bill in advance, I figured my client had a heart of gold. But after I was beat up, double-crossed, and shot at, I realized just how hard a heart of gold can be. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character as CBS presents The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. And now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's unusual story, The Heart of Gold. I had spent the day trying to decide how to spend the day. and finally convinced myself Sunday afternoon was a good time to catch up with neglected bookkeeping. But I only got as far as the office door because a special delivery letter was stuck in the mail slot. I ripped it open and watched a crisp $50 bill flutter to the floor. Bending it down with my toe, I turned to the letter, which was dated Saturday. Dear Mr. Marlowe, kindly investigate the party who lives at 1903 North Ogden Street to find out if his name is really Elliot Perdue and what his occupation is. Then please come to my residence at 5 tomorrow, Sunday. I live at the home of a friend, Arthur Stewart, 33 Lemonwood Drive in Bel Air. I sincerely hope that $50 will be a sufficient retainer. Truly yours, Helen Asher. <laughs> Judging from the tone of her letter, it was obvious that Helen Asher didn't hire private detectives very often. Nevertheless, I glanced at my watch, which said I had to work very fast, and I headed for 1903 North Ogden. It turned out to be a small house near Selma Street. I got out of my car and walked up to the door. Good afternoon, sir. You the resident here? That's right. What do you want? I represent the Dr. Potter Poll of Public Opinion. I'd like to ask you a few questions regarding... Sorry, but I don't have any opinions to express. Oh, even the opinions of a man with no opinions are important to us. Now, let's just let me step inside here and get out my notebook. There we are. All right, but make it fast. Right. Now, what is your occupation? I'm an investment broker. With which firm? I'm a independent. I see. And what is your name, sir? What do you need my name for? Well, for my personal records in case I have to come back. Elliot Perdue. Uh-huh. Do you have any hobbies other than horse racing? What's... What do you mean? Those dope sheets and racing forms there on your desk. I'm quite an admirer of horse flesh myself. <laughs> You're quite a character, too, aren't you? Working on Sunday and all? Well, you know how public opinion is. It goes right on, rain, shine, or Sunday. Excuse me a moment. Oh, by the way, uh, what's your name? Marlowe. Philip Marlowe. Hey, Mr. Marlowe. Stand still, because I'm not kidding about this gun. I'll beat it back to whoever hired you and tell them they're being very clumsy about a very delicate situation. One more move like this and they won't get another chance. I knew Perdue meant business, so I left without an argument. Well, at least I had a repeat on the name, Elliot Perdue, and the occupation of bookie to cross at Helen Asher when I met her at 5 o'clock. In Bel Air, I eventually found 33 Lemonwood Drive. Two hundred yards of palm trees stood at rigid attention while I drove through the gate and up to the house. When the butler opened the door, he stared at me like my hat was on fire. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, did you did you wish something? Yes. Yeah, I'd like to see Mrs. Asher, please. Mrs. Asher? Oh, good heavens. Uh, Mr. Stewart. What's the matter, Robert? Uh, why is this? I'm Philip Marlowe, Mr. Stewart, a private detective. I have an appointment with Mrs. Asher. Is she at home? Oh, Mr. Marlowe, perhaps you can help. I don't know what to do. It's such a terrible thing. What's happened? Upstairs, not five minutes ago, Mrs. Asher shot herself. Shot herself? Please, if you'd come up with me. Yeah, sure, of course. I'm certainly grateful for your help, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah, this is her room. She's in here. There. He's dead, all right. Shot herself in the left temple. Whose gun is that, Mr. Stewart? Well, it's mine. I kept it in the desk downstairs. Did you find her? No, Roberts did. I was out in the hothouse working with my orchids. You see, I've been out of town. 
I just came in this morning on the Super Chief from Chicago, and I wasn't expected back until Wednesday. Yeah, uh, look, Mr. Stewart, do you mind telling me how well you knew Mrs. Ashen? Oh, very well indeed. Ever since the accident three years ago, she lived in my house under my care. The accident? Yes, that's how she got those uh, scars on her cheek and neck. As you can see, uh, my hands were burned at the same time. Do you mind telling me about it? Well, I was living in Canada at the time. One day, my wife Florence and I went to a camp near Quebec, and we met Helen Asher our first day there. She was a pathetic, lonely woman, a widow. Oh. And that very night, while she was visiting us, the oil stove in our cabin exploded. Oh. Florence, my wife, was killed. Mrs. Asher was severely burned. It was ghastly. I can imagine. Mrs. Asher had no one, so I thought the least I could do would be to care for her, since I knew the accident had been caused by sheer carelessness on my part. You took over full responsibility for her? Yes, I did everything I could think of, but she never quite got over the shock of that night, and now, now this, it's horrible. Have you notified the police yet? Uh, no, you no. better do it right now. Yes, I'll go right downstairs and call them. The dead woman on the floor had been beautiful once. No doubt about it. This was my client's. And a certain $50 bill was burning a hole in my pocket. I wandered over to a writing table, and as I looked down, I noticed that the Sunday sheet had been torn off the memo pad. It bothered me. Tomorrow should mean nothing to a suicide, yet Mrs. Ash's memo pad showed Monday already. The sheet was blank, but on a hunch I tore it off and stuck it in my pocket. I was about to turn away when I saw a book of matches from the Conga Club. So I picked that up, too, and then I left. I drove around for some time trying to figure things out. Then I went down to police headquarters to see one Lieutenant Ibarra. It's suicide as far as we're concerned, Marlowe. Everything checks. Mrs. Asher was despondent and she killed herself. She didn't leave a suicide letter, but they don't always. How'd you get in on it? Well, she paid me 50 bucks in advance to air out a small-time bookie or worse named Elliot Purdue. Incidentally... What's the background on Arthur Stewart? Oh, he's a big money fashion designer. Started his business on his wife's insurance. She died in an accident in Canada. Mm. He did a lot for Mrs. Asher because he felt responsible. Yeah, yeah, I know all that. But was she left-handed? Did Stewart come in on the super chief this morning? And was it the butler that found the body? That's right. We checked it all. Hey, look, Phil, do you have any good reason to think this isn't suicide? No, no, not really. It's just that $50 in advance that bothers me, I guess. Oh, by the way, I've got a piece of paper I'd like the boys in the lab to run a test on, okay? Sure, Casey will fix you up. Uh, Marlo, I figure suicide now, but I can always change my mind. I went down the hall to the police laboratory and handed the blank page of the memo pad to Casey. Ten minutes later, he explained that the impression showed a left-handed person had written a number, Bradshaw 7, 7 with a wide-point fountain pen, probably on the page just above the one I'd given him. Well, I thanked him, dropped four bits in the Christmas fund bottle, and found a phone. I dialed Bradshaw 7, 7 and waited. Hello? Hello? Who's this? The man in the moon. Come up and see me some other time. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I like your voice. And besides, 7711 is a very lucky number. Uh-huh. Three passes in a row. But don't let it fool you, Jack. The answer is no dice. Goodbye. Yeah. Well? I gathered she was in no mood for playing, so I decided to be strictly business and dialed again. Hmm. There was no answer. I let it ring for some time, but Miss Golden Voice obviously wasn't taking any more anonymous calls. Had left only the long shot, the book of matches I'd found on Mrs. Asher's desk. The conga club was on the Sunset Strip. So I drove out there, found a parking space on a side street nearby, and went in. I didn't know exactly where I was looking for, so I paid a buck ten for a scotch and soda worth 40 cents just to help pass the time. An amber spotlight was glistening down on a set of sequin contours that would have melted the ice age down to a fortnight. And she was singing. For wherever my man is, I am here. Forever.
I knew it was Benita, the conga's secret songstress, and I knew something else, too. There was no mistaking that voice. She was the girl with a lucky phone number. I wrote her a note, called a waiter to the table to deliver it, and then sat back to watch her as she glided over and sidled into a chair opposite me. It was your penmanship that intrigued me, Mr. Malone. It was your voice and so forth, mostly the so forth, that got me, Benita. Uh, would you care to decipher the Sanskrit you call a note? The waiter said you wrote it. Sure. It says important business. Uh, that's an idiom. <laughs> if you wanted to talk uh, turkey, how would you translate it? Do you know a woman named Helen Asher? Not that I remember. Why? Uh, your phone number showed up on a memo pad. How do you account for that? How should I know? Maybe she intended to call me up. Look, you're quite a handsome man, Mr. Marlowe. But you look silly with your nose bent. Why do you keep sticking it into other people's business? Because besides being paid for it, it sometimes leads to meeting interesting and beautiful people. Present company included. What do you want? Mrs. Asher killed herself tonight. Mrs. Asher's dead? Yeah, yeah. And considering you said you didn't know her, you look very put out about it. All right. Marlowe, you win. But let's not talk about it here. Finish your drink while I get out of this costume. Then meet me outside by the front door in ten minutes. When she headed for the back of the club, I headed to the front. I got out the door and down in my car just in time to see her leave by the stage entrance. She jumped into a yellow convertible, ripped down Sunset Boulevard, turned on to Doheny, and scraped to a halt in front of the region apartments. At the door, a tall, sunburned man popped up from somewhere and intercepted her. It was Elliot Perdue. A short but hot argument took place, and apparently Purdue won, because they went in together. I found the name Benita Malone over the mailbox in number five, and got to her apartment door just as the second round started. No, I haven't changed my mind, Elliot. I've been doing a little research since you threw me over, Benita. I've got you and your precious plans right here in the palm of my hand. What are you talking about? This. This little heart-shaped locket on this little golden chain. Let me see no, that. No, no, no. Not showing this trinket until just the right moment. Listen, Elliot, I don't know what's brewing in that slimy brain of yours. But get this, if you try to monkey with my life again, so help me, I'll kill you now. Get out! Benita, would you be interested if I told you that I know Mrs. Asher's secret? And would you be interested if I told you that Mrs. Asher killed herself tonight? That slows you down, doesn't it, bright boy? Yeah, but it doesn't stop me, beautiful. I'll be seeing you before you know it. I ducked into an alcove and heard Benita slam the door and produce coattails as he left. So, now I knew that Purdue, a locket, and Benita Malone added up some way to a bullet in the head for a scarred woman with a secret. I went back to my car and drove out to Stewart's house in Bel Air. When you were here before, Marlowe, I was so upset I hardly realized you were a private detective. Now, you had an appointment with Mrs. Asher. Had uh, she hired you? Yes, to investigate someone, but she didn't live long enough to give me the details. Now, what sort of trouble could she have been in to have needed a private detective? I don't know. But perhaps you can help me find out by answering a few questions. Anything. Right? Anything at all, Mr. Marlowe. Does the name Elliot Perdue mean anything to you, Mr. Stewart? Elliot Perdue? No, I'm afraid not. How about uh, Benita Malone? Well, I've never heard of her. Hmm. You know anything about a heart-shaped locket on a gold chain? A locket? A gold locket? Yeah. And Mrs. Asher had a heart-shaped gold locket. Where'd she keep it? Well, upstairs in her jewelry box, I should imagine. Come on, let's have a look, huh? Yes. Right up these stairs here. Mm. This is her room, Marlowe. I know. I was here once before. Why? It's not here. It's not on her dressing table. Her, her jewelry box, it's gone, Marlowe. But you think that... Elliot Perdue has it. I can't understand this. What's the locket like? What's inside it? Just a picture. It was valued by Mrs. Asher because it was the only one she kept of herself the way she looked before the accident. Now, why would anyone else want that? I don't know. But when we get that locket, we'll get a lot of answers along with it. <laughs> more convinced than ever that Elliot Perdue, Benita, and the late Mrs. Asher's secret were all dangling from the same chain that supported the gold locket. I said goodnight to Arthur Stewart and started back for Hollywood. But a moment later, I changed my mind and abruptly swung onto a shadowed side road and parked lights out. It had suddenly occurred to me that a gallivanting Mr. Perdue might call on Stewart. And if so, I wanted to be on hand. 
Well, Forty minutes later, I was about to call off the cloak and dagger routine when I, I heard the sound of a powerful motor roaring out of Stewart's driveway. I looked up just in time to see a long black mash whip by with Stewart at the wheel. From the speed of the car, I was certainly wasn't going out for the morning papers. I decided to go back to the house and question the butler while I could have him to myself. Oh, why, no, Mr. Marlowe. I haven't any idea where Mr. Stewart went. I only know that he had a telephone call, after which he dashed out of the house highly upset. Well, maybe some sick friend needed sitting up with, huh? But tell me, Roberts, did you ever hear of a man named Elliot Perdue? Oh, yes, sir. Uh, he called on Mrs. Asher here once or twice while Mr. Stewart was away on business. When did you last see this, Mr. Perdue, Roberts? Uh, yesterday morning, sir, about 10 o'clock. Hmm. And one thing more, did you ever see Mrs. Asher wearing a gold locket, a heart-shaped one? Oh, quite often, sir. As a matter of fact, she asked me about it just yesterday morning, shortly after Mr. Perdue left. She couldn't locate it anyplace. A singular coincidence, huh? Oh, by the way, what do you know about a singer named Benita? Benita? Uh, I've never heard of her, sir. Are you sure she's never been out here as Mr. Stewart's guest? Why, I'm positive, sir. Uh, Mr. Stewart never has any ladies out here of any kind. Oh? Doesn't that strike you as being strange, Robert? After all, Mr. Stewart's a very eligible widower. Widower, yes, Mr. Marlowe, but philanderer, no. Good night, sir. As I drove back to Hollywood, I tried to figure out where Arthur Stewart had gone. But I had about as much to work with as Gypsy Rose Lee after a third encore. And after discounting Benita's place in the Conga, there was only Elliot Perdue's house on North Ogden. Fifteen minutes later, I walked up to it, but the place was as dark and as quiet as the inside of a coffin. I was about to turn back to my car when suddenly I caught the reflection of a sliver of light bouncing off the glass in Mr. Perdue's living room. I found the back door lock easy to bluff. A moment later, I stepped into the living room. Hello. How, how did you know I was here? Mr. Stewart told me. You're a liar. Arthur wouldn't... Arthur? Uh, I... Well, you see, Mr. Stewart and I... Oh, are... no, it's Mr. Stewart, huh? Wait a minute, there's someone outside. Purdue. Put out your light. Now, when he finds you, keep talking. You say anything. I'll be behind the door. Here he is. Well, Benita. <laughs> what a waste of time, my dear. While you've been here rearranging my socks, I've been talking to your boyfriend with the locket safely tucked away right here in my breast pocket. How clever of you. How absolutely ingenious. It's a bit late for nasty words between us, Benita, because possession of you was part of the bargain I struck with Mr. Stewart. You see, we... What are you staring at? My big blue eyes, for two. Don't move or I'll blast you. You'll do nothing. No. Get the gun, Benita. Now, for two, we'll play some more. <laughs> Now the gentleman's breast pocket. Ah, here it is, Benita. Safe and sound. Which is just the way I want it, Phil. What? My own gun. Why, you beautiful snake. The locket, Marlowe. Come on, I get nervous with one of these things in my hand. Throw it here. Thank you. Now when I leave, Phil, don't come after me. Because I'd hate to fill you full of little holes. Good night, dear. Benita stepped out of that house. I solemnly swore I wouldn't trust another woman for the next hundred years. But a groan from the body on the floor brought me back to 1948 and Elliot Perdue. I knew that he had seen the picture in the locket, so I went to work on him. Come on, Perdue, snap out of it. Come on. Huh? Oh, it's you, Marlo. Who'd you expect, St. Peter? What was in the locket, Perdue? I don't remember. Maybe a call on Lieutenant Ibarra will refresh your memory. I doubt it. Then we better start playing games again. We'll start with one called Slap Slap Perdue. No, no, let me alone, Marlowe. Get your hands off me. Ah, uh, you're ready to start singing, huh? All we need now is the right lyric. No. Come on, Perdue, talk. Stop it, stop it, I'll talk. Good. Now, why did Mrs. Asher kill herself? Because she had a good reason. Like what? Uh, it's a long story. Make it short. Okay, Marlowe. Here goes. <laughs> Marlowe Ibarra has a five-minute-old corpse lying in his living room at 1903 North Ogden. 
Name is Elliot Perdue. Free shot through a closed window. I was lucky. Any description of the killer? No, none. Now, look, Ibarra, right now I'm going after a songbird named Benita Malone at the Regent Apartments on Doheny. Will you cover me there without sirens? Sure, Marlowe. I'll attend to it in person. <laughs> only a healthy center fielder's peg from Badu's house to Benita's. When I got there, the place was dark and a car wasn't in sight. I decided to try the conga club. But as soon as I walked in, I began to worry because if Benita had wanted to get rid of that luck, she'd have had enough time to bury it at Forest Lawn. But I didn't know Benita because Miss Oomph herself was singing in the amber spotlight and dangling from her soft white neck was the heart-shaped gold locket. I love you. Because he's wonderful. Because he's just my When she caught my eye, she smiled like a maitre d. And the moment she was through with her song, she headed back in my direction. But before she got to me, I saw her give the high sign to an ape in a tuxedo. He looked at her and then across toward my table and left the room. I watched Benita glide across the floor in my direction. She was distinctly a thing of beauty. Well, Phil, what do you think of my singing? Oh, I'm just crazy about it. That and your jewelry. Especially that locket, family heirloom. Mm-hmm. It was more or less handed down to me. Generation to generation. That's an old uh, Spanish custom. Yeah, yeah, it's all I've been told. And I imagine tradition prohibits your parting with it, huh? That's right. Unless, of course, someone someone with oodles of money offers me lots of it in exchange. Then naturally I'd be obliged to part with it. I don't think you'd feel obliged to your mother on the second Sunday in May. Besides, I don't have oodles of money. Oh, you should have told me that earlier. Goodbye, good luck. Hey, wait a minute. We couldn't do any business in a minute. And don't follow me if you want to stay pretty. pivoted on a spike heel and took off for a dressing room, and I knew that if I followed, I was scheduled for a nasty tete-a-tete with an ape in a tuxedo. When I made the lower floor and saw that the long corridor to a room was empty, I knew the setup. The ape would be on the other side of the door waiting. Benita still had my gun, so I got the nearest substitute for a blackjack, a full bottle of Paul Masson champagne. Then I walked noisily down the corridor as far as her door and knocked. Turned the knob slowly kicked the door open and stood clear. It worked. The ape's hairy hand was wrapped around my gun and it came down in an arc that was never interrupted. And that left him on balance. <laughs> the ape hit the floor and before Benita had a chance to close him out, I ripped the locket from my neck, picked my gun up and ran. I didn't stop until I collapsed against the store window. Then I opened up the locket. Two minutes ran out of me before I realized what was wrong with the picture. Then I knew... Arthur Stewart's home in Bel Air was my next stop. Thirty minutes later, I pulled up away from the place and parked. And keeping in the shadows, I approached the house where only the library and an upstairs bedroom showed any light. The library had French windows. When I moved up close, I was startled by the sight of a figure going through Stewart's desk. I stepped into the room and found it was my little friend, Bernita. I've got my own gun again, Benita. Phil. Oh, doing a little dusting, honey? Oh, don't be funny. I'm not trying to. But how is it you're not upstairs helping Stuart pack? Because I've already finished packing, Mr. Marlowe, and don't turn around. That was well done, Benita. Oh, fine. Sucked in by a little decoy sprinkled with sequins. Don't mind the pose, Marlowe. Just toss your gun on the couch over there. Now. Uh, that's better. You know, Marlowe, I can't say that I'm very sorry for you. I don't expect condolences from a character who murdered a woman this afternoon and a man this evening. You killed Mrs. Asher? Yes, and that blackmailing scum put you as well. But both murders were very necessary, Benita. Even as Marlowe's here will be. Come over here, Benita, behind me. Hurry, Arthur, let's get out of here. Don't worry. And now, Mr. Marlowe, it's time for you. Well... Thanks, Benita. You swing a beautiful bookend. You know, I had you figured all wrong. No, don't mention it, dear. I heard the cops coming anyway. You sweet child. We're in here, Ibarra, all of us. Oh, I figured you'd be out here when you didn't show up at that songbird's place. 
Well, what's this? The little man on the floor with a large bump on his head is Arthur Stewart. The man who killed Elliot Perdue to keep him from telling me the truth about Mrs. Asher. And the man who killed her this afternoon. So Mrs. Asher didn't commit suicide after all. No, but she wasn't murdered either. She died in that accident in Canada three years ago. What are you talking about? Well, the woman that Stewart killed here this afternoon wasn't Mrs. Asher. It was his wife, Mrs. Florence Stewart. You see, there must have been a mix-up in identifying the bodies of the two women at the time of the accident. Mm -hmm. Stewart and his wife had Mrs. Asher buried as Mrs. Stewart. And they collected the insurance neat, huh? Yeah. But what happened? Yeah, it's simple. Stewart got bored with his scarred and unattractive wife, and he started running around with choice little numbers. Like Benita here. Bill, honest, I didn't know a thing about this. Stewart told me that Mrs. Asher depended on him so heavily that she'd be crushed at his seeing another woman. But I didn't know she was his wife. Marlowe, how do you figure this all out? I'm a locket that belonged to the woman we knew as Mrs. Asher. It had a picture of Stuart and Mrs. Asher taken in dress clothes before she was scarred. Yet Stuart claimed that he and his wife had only met Mrs. Asher the day of the accident. And on a camping trip at that. But, Phil, I saw the picture, too, and I didn't figure that out. That's because you were too busy trying to figure just how much the locket was worth to Arthur Stewart. Or to anybody. In cold cash. You were blinded by all the dollar signs in front of your eyes, baby. Why, Phil, how can you say such things? Now, Marlowe, just so I don't toss and turn all night, tell me just why you were hired in the first place. Well, Ibarra, it goes something like this. When Perdue knew that he was losing Benita to Stewart, he decided to check up on the opposition. And he not only found out what he wanted to know, but he found out a lot of things, too, that he didn't want to know. Mrs. Stewart, the late Mrs. Asher, became suspicious of his questioning. And incidentally of her husband. So she sent for me. Well, Marlowe Stewart certainly had me fooled. I doped him out to be a very generous guy, a great benefactor who was doing the right thing for a lonely, unfortunate woman. Yeah. Looked like he had a heart of gold, all right. But a funny thing, he bought her. In the end, it was this heart of gold, this locket here that got him. Mind if I keep it? Not at all. You had a tough enough time getting hold of it. Good night, Phil. Well, by the time I got back to my apartment on Franklin, the sky was beginning to fill with a soft gray of morning. I pulled the blinds down in my bedroom and sat down for a last cigarette. I'd mixed with a lot of funny people that day. But for some cockeyed reason, I kept thinking of Benita Malone, a girl who was no better than she had to be. Finally, I put her out of my mind, and I was about to turn off the desk lamp when I noticed my memo pad. Still that Sunday, which was understandable. But scrawled across the top sheet was a telephone number. And I couldn't figure how it got there. It was written in crimson lipstick. Bradshaw 7. 7-Eleven. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, created by Raymond Chandler, stars Gerald Moore and is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Featured in tonight's cast, were Gloria Blondell, John Daner, Jack Moyles, and Ben Wright. Detective Lieutenant Ibarra was played by Jeff Corey. The special music was conceived and conducted by Richard O'Ron. Be sure to be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... They were all after it. An importer, a beautiful woman, a nut, and a guy I couldn't figure out. But before we were through, one was in the hospital, two were in the morgue, and the fourth was waiting for the hangman. All that because of a blue burgonet. Something I'd never even heard of before. Dr. Fabian, the ship's doctor in cabin B-13, tells a new story of danger in far ports tonight over most of the CBS network stations. Tonight's story, The Island of Coffins, 
is another original drama by John Dixon Carr, famed mystery writer. You can hear it when the ship's whistles sound outside cabin B-13. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. kept you waiting. Yes, this is the crime club. I'm the librarian. Curses don't hurry. Yes, we have that crime club story for you. Come right over. chair by the window. Comfortable? The book is on this shelf. Here it is. Curses Don't Hurry by Stephen Ransom. The very exciting story of a clean-up campaign that was messed up by murder. Let's look at it under the reading lamp. The city was small and clean and comfortable. Seen from a train window, it looked like many another American city. But something new had been added to this one that could not be seen from a train window. It was Christopher Chance, young special prosecutor, who's been appointed by the governor to investigate corruption in the office of Anthony Pierce, the district attorney. It was early evening when Christopher Chance left the courthouse after a long conference with his friend and political benefactor, Judge Rossiter. Main Street was deserted. And so was the little side street, two blocks away where his office was located. He walked slowly, but as he was about to step into the lobby of the small building, he turned just in time. Here! Here! I'm all right, Lee. Oh, I heard shots. Are you sure? You're not hurt? Not a scratch, Sally. Oh, thank heavens. I've been so worried about you. There's nothing to worry about. Those gangsters had no intention of killing me. But they shot at you. Ooh, the strategy of terror, Lee, a la Tony Pierce. Let's go upstairs to the office. He'll do anything to make you resign now, won't he? I'm afraid so. Maybe I'm getting a lot closer to his neck than I think. I'd give anything to see this case closed. You don't know what it's doing to me, Kit. <laughs> it hasn't made you less beautiful, sweetheart. <laughs> Don't forget, Mr. Chance, I'm still only your secretary. From nine to five. And from five to nine. You've got a big job to do. Uh, is that why you're still here at seven o'clock? Because you're uh, only my secretary? I was cleaning my typewriter. Mm-hmm. I bought this bottle of cleaning fluid this afternoon, and I thought, well, I didn't know how long you were going to be with Judge Rossiter. Uh-huh. I'm serious, Kit. What did he want? I've got to bring Tony Pierce to trial in two days. You, 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 you can't. I've got to. I've been on this job for three months, and the governor wants action. Oh. Are you sure it's the governor? What do you mean? It could be the judge for the sake of his daughter. What's Diane got to do with my case against Tony Pierce? Hmm? Nothing. But she would like to be Mrs. Christopher Chance. You're not making sense, Lee. Well, you and Diane were pretty thick before you got the appointment and hired me. Look, dear, I've known Diane since we were pups. We are good friends, that's all. Kit, wasn't it Judge Rossiter who got you this appointment? Yes. Why did he pick you? Because he thought I could do the job. Are you sure Diane didn't put him up to it? Well, suppose she did. This golden opportunity, the magic carpet of a political career, make good and you can go anywhere. All right. She wanted you to have it because she wanted you. But now I think she's out to break your political neck. <laughs> you don't know Diane. Hmm. She's very sweet, dear. But why is her father putting the pressure on you? He knows you're not ready to bring Tony Pierce to trial. I told him I have 18 witnesses who are ready to testify to any frame charges against them and settle for cash. He thinks that's enough. 
Did you tell him that Tony never took that money in person? Yeah. I even told him about Hope Schuyler, the mysterious lady who can't be found. Whom nobody even saw. Mm, he's got the whole story, Lee. About the abandoned warehouse on River Street, too? Where the money was left in envelopes addressed to Hope Schuyler? Yep. And still he wants you to be ready for trial in two days. Don't you think he realizes you have no case without Hope Schuyler? I'm not going to believe that Diane is knifing me. Well, suit yourself. I won't say another word. You don't seem to understand. These people wouldn't put me on the spot. They're the oldest friends I have. They... Hello? Special prosecutor's office. Is Mr. Chance there? Yes, he's here. Who's calling? Skeet Snally. Just a minute. It's for you, Kit. Skeet Snally. No. Hello, Skeets. Where are you? I'm in a phone booth across the road from Art Gurney's flying school. There's a gas station here. Yes, I know. What's new? Plenty. The biggest break so far. But I ain't talking unless you're alone. All right, hold on a minute. I'll take this inside, Lee. Go ahead, Skeet. Listen, I got the dope on Hope Skyler. What? Yeah, I figured that she and that Tony Pierce guy must have been like mashed potatoes, so I done a little snooping. Go on, go on. Well, he's got a cabin in the woods near Bedminster, about 100 miles from our town. Some of the folks up there remember seeing Tony Pierce driving through. Oh, what about Hope Skyler? She used to get there by plane. Did anybody see her? No, but lots of folks saw had a plane. And what do you know, boss? There's a very small landing field right near the cabin. Very, very private. How do you know there's a woman in that plane? I checked the cabin. That's how I know. It's called Lark Lodge. And there was a woman's dressing gown in one of the closets. Great. Does that prove she was Hope Skyler? The plane that dame was using came out of the Art Gurney Flying School. How do you know? Because I seen it. It's a two-seating job with the initials H.S. painted on the side. Well. I got a break, see? When the two Gurneys, Art and his wife Phyllis, went up for a little stratosphere, they left the hangar door open. So what was I going to do? You did fine, Skeets. Stay where you are. I'll be there in 15 minutes. Okay. I guess the Gurney should be able to give us a good description of Hope Schuyler. <laughs> See you later, pal. <laughs> Lee! Lee, darling! Lee, come on in! Lee, we cracked the case. We've got... Lee. Chloroform. Operator, get me police headquarters right away. I want to report a kidnapping. Skeets. He was going to meet me in 15 minutes. I waited two hours. Now he tried to get you on the phone. Lee Dale's been kidnapped. The Gurney's came down from their flight. Huh? What did you say? Right out of my office while I was in the next room talking to you. Chloroform and carried out. Wow. Somebody took an awful chance. I've been scouring the town with the police. Every joint from the warehouse on River Street to the back rooms of the pool parlors. Tony Pierce got this job done. And if you ask me... I thought of Lark Lodge, too. Did you tell the cops? No, not yet. Oh, I don't get it. I've got to be sure she's there before I do anything. Oh, okay. I'm expecting a phone call. That's why I came back to the office. Who's going to call you? One of Tony Pierce's gangsters. And I can tell you exactly what he'll say. Yeah? Resign as special prosecutor and kill the evidence you've got or you'll never see Lee Dale alive again. Suppose that happens. What do you do? I don't know. Would you quit? I said I don't know. Okay, so you'll quit. Just when we've gotten Tony Pierce and Hope Skyler. Hello? Kiss. Oh, Lee, Lee, darling, are you all right? Yes, I'm all right. Where are you? I don't know. Oh, just a minute, uh, Skeet. I know, you want me to trace? Make it snappy. Lee, tell me what happened. Huh? I can't. What was it, Tony Pierce? I haven't seen him. Kit, I've got something to tell you. Naturally. These men want you to quit. Yes. They say that if you don't quit, they'll kill me. I expected it, darling. I, I don't want anything to happen to you. Tell them no, I... No, Kit, I don't want you to resign. I don't. <laughs> Kit, listen to me. I don't care what they do to me. I don't want you to... Lee. Lee. Skeets. Skeets. I just got it, boss. The number's Bedminster 942. Lock Lodge. That's what the operator said, Mr. Chance. Are we gone now or are you still quitting? We're going. There it is, boss. Lock Lodge. And there's somebody home. Yes. We should have took the cops along, Mr. Chance. Okay, so you didn't want no shooting, but what about us? We ain't even got guns. Shh, shh. We're going right in. What? Oh. Oh, it's a special prosecutor. Come in, come in, won't you? And, uh, next time, don't bother to knock. Where is she, Pierce? Where is who, Mr. Special Prosecutor? Lee Dale. Lee Dale. Oh, oh, yes, yes, your charming secretary. <laughs> Has she, uh, given you the wind? All right, Skeet, search the house. That's easy. There's only three rooms. Excuse me, Mr. Special Prosecutor. 
I uh, don't want to be picky on, but uh, have you a warrant? Go ahead, Skeets. I'm afraid I'll have to say no. Hey, he's loaded. <laughs> we uh, backwoodsmen always insist on our rights. We don't like intruders who uh, break in without warrants. Listen, Pierce. I'm not only going to send you to jail as a crook, I'm also going to send you to jail as a kidnapper. Really? Well, this is serious, But if you'd rather go to the chair as a murderer, put a bullet in my back, because I'm going to search this house myself. You don't have to, Pierce. What? What on earth? Hey, Diane. (laughs) Well, I uh, guess I won't need this gun now. You can search the place if you still want to. Diane Rossiter. I'm sorry about this, Kit. I didn't think that Tony and I would ever be found out. Where's Lee Dale? My father mustn't know. It would kill him. He must never find Just out. Just tell me where I can find Lee Dale. I don't know. You're lying. I haven't seen her since this morning. She was here. She phoned me from here. Skeets traced the call. I haven't seen her since this morning, Kit. Where's she been moved to? I... All right, if that's how you want it. But listen to me and you two, Pierce. You've given me my case. I can drag Hope Schuyler into court now. You're wrong, Kit. I'm not Hope Schuyler. But I'll forget the whole thing if Lee's in her apartment by the time Skeets and I get back to town. Does that mean that you're going to resign? That you've got exactly three hours. Come on, Skeets. Kit? Leave him alone, Diane. He knows what he's doing. But Tony... It's a great sacrifice. I told him once that hearses don't hurry. The grave always waits. <laughs> it's too bad, Mr. Special Prosecutor. We had to dig such a deep one for you. What's the time, Mr. Chance? Hmm? Oh, uh, about half past two. Yeah. It's been a great day for the grave diggers. Mind if I turn on the radio? Feel like some slumber music. Skeets, uh, I, I, I just can't get it through my head about Diane. She's Hope Skyler. Yeah. Well, a partner of that cheap, chiseling crook. A girl I've known practically all my life. Yeah, but that ain't no reason to quit. She's Judge Rossiter's daughter. Skeets, have you any idea what that man did for me? He got you appointed special prosecutor. He lent me money to go to law school with. Then he set me up in practice. How can I show up his own daughter as well, that ain't easy, boss. But in this world, the guy's got to be practical. Friendship, okay. But when you got a chance to go places, you got it. We interrupt the early morning recital of organ music by Al Finelli to bring you the latest developments in the flying school murder. Hey, what's that? The police are now satisfied that Art Gurney, who operated the school and landing field with his wife, Phyllis was shot and killed sometime between 10 and 11 o'clock last night. Did you hear that, Art Gurney? All indications point to a woman as the murderer. Phyllis Gurney, the murdered man's wife, has disappeared. And several motorists have come forth with information that a small, unidentified plane took off from the field at about the time Art Gurney was believed to have been killed. Several of these witnesses insist that the person at the controls was a woman. But when asked for a description... Turn it off, Steve. They were not able to... Now you can't quit, boss. It's murder. Between 10 and 11 o'clock last night. Them two people was the only ones who could have told us what Hope Skyler looked like. Now one of them's dead. Hey, what's the idea of turning off the road? We're going to the Gurney Field. I want you to see if Hope Skyler's plane is missing. Sure, but I can tell you right now. Look, Mr. Chance, does that girl Diana Rossiter know how to fly? Yeah, she has a license. Okay. I go where you go, but between you and me, I'd rather go home. <laughs> There's the hangar, boss. Door's open. Hey, you have to run so fast. Hey, better save my breath, huh? I'll need it. The future. Oh, excuse me. Phew. Where's the light switch? Should be, uh, right about here. I got it. What color was it, Skeet? Yellow. Two-seater? Yeah, and initials HS on the side. There's a yellow plane. Now, that ain't it, Mr. Chance. That's a single. Hope's got a plane ain't here. Well... You know, we wasn't made right. Too long saying enough. Oh, let's go, Skeet. I'll drive you home, and I'll stop off at Lee's apartment. And she'd better be there. Lee. Kid. Oh, kid. Oh, oh. oh please. Not all at once. Oh, darling. Um... Don't you think we ought to close the door? All right. Oh, you don't know what looking at you does to me. I'm a little glad to see you myself. Let's sit down. They didn't hurt you. Kit, they let me go. 
They drove me to the door downstairs. They even let me see their faces. Why, Kit? I'm resigning. No. I've got to, Lee. Tony Pierce hit me twice tonight. Once with you and... I'm not letting you quit. I don't care what kind of a bargain you made with Tony Pierce about me. You don't... You don't have to keep it. He's a thief. Ah, there's more to it than that. Diane Rossiter is Hope Skyler. What? There's no doubt about it. I bring Tony to trial, I have to prosecute Diane for murder. Murder? Ah, what's the use? <laughs> I should have known I wasn't cut out for big things. I'm too sentimental. Who was murdered, kid? Art Gurney. He ran the flying school up Yes, there. I've seen it. But why him? Look, dear, you've had a pretty eventful night. I'll tell you the whole story at the office tomorrow. You're going to tell me now. Why Diane Rossiter is so important that you've got to protect her. I- I'm not protecting her, Lee. It's her... Who can that be at four o'clock in the morning? Oh, probably a wrong number. Don't move. I'll be back. Hello? Yes, speaking. Who? Oh. I just got in a few minutes ago. What? I see. Yes. Where can I reach you about ten o'clock? Uh-huh. All right, phone me in the morning. No, here. I'll tell you where I can meet you. Yes. Goodbye. Who was it, Lee? Hmm? What? Uh, something the matter? The matter? No. No, of course not. That was a friend of mine. She's at a party and she... <laughs> Nothing important. Nice people. Well, see you at the office. Yes. I'm going to be a little late, uh... I got some business with Judge Rossiter first. All right, kid. I'll see you whenever you get there. Oh. When did you return to the fold? Kid, please. Yeah. Tell Judge Rossiter I'd like to see him. Kid, I tried to get you on the phone a few minutes ago. I'd like to speak to your father, Diane. He's at the courthouse. He left early this morning. All right. I'll speak to him then. Wait. What for? I want you to give me a chance to explain about last night. Some other time. No. You're not leaving here until you've let me explain. Now, look, Diane. Don't be a fool, kid. I'm not Hope Skyler. I hate the living sight of Tony Pierce. Sure. You've got to believe me. I went a little crazy yesterday. I saw Lee Dale in the morning. She told me that you were going to be married. She told you. I stopped thinking. Oh, kid, I've I've been in love with you for years. I've never shown it, but I hope it. And then that girl, in less than three months... Now, what's that got to do with Tony Pierce? I hated you, kid. I wanted to hurt you. Anything, so long as it would destroy you. What about that crook, Diane? There was only one way. Your career. I knew you would never finish the case against Tony if, if it meant disgracing my father. So I called Tony, and I told him that I would be willing to let you suspect me of being Hope Skyler. And I told him why. But last night at Lock Lodge, you denied it. I lost my nerve. I realized what a vicious thing I was doing. And then when you asked Tony and me about Lee Dale... You knew she'd been kidnapped. No. No, all I knew was that Tony was sure you'd, you'd come there. I didn't know why. Yeah. You don't believe me. How did you get up to the lodge? In Tony's car. He called me a few minutes before eight and asked me to meet him near the lots. What about your plane? My what? The one you stored at the Gurney Flying Field. Kid, you know I've never owned a plane. Do I? I have a pilot's license, but... What are you talking about? The Art Gurney murder. I heard about it on the radio. The but plane that took off between 10 and 11 and never came back belongs to Hope Schuyler. Oh. Art Gurney was killed between 10 and 11 last night. And you think that I... You've got nothing to worry about. I won't tell a soul. Kid, you're so wrong. You're so wrong. And it's all my fault. If I hadn't lost my head yesterday, if I hadn't been so, so selfish and stupid and cheap, Oh, Kit, forgive me, please. Forgive me. You don't know what it means to be in love with someone who doesn't love you. 
I didn't realize what I was doing. You'd better answer that phone, Diane. It might be your boyfriend. I, I can't. All right. Then I'll answer it. Hello. Is that you, Mr. Chance? What's the matter, Skeets? I've been trying to get you all over town. Your apartment, the office, no answer, no place. So I figured you'd What do you problem. want? Listen, I spotted that Phyllis Gurney dame. She was driving right through the middle of town. What's that got to do with me? Well, listen, will you? So I get in the cab and I follow her. Guess where she went? Skeets, in case you've forgotten, I'm resigning. Yeah, yeah, I know. She went right to that old warehouse on River Street. What? You know, the place where Hope Skyler used to pick up the sucker dough for Tony Pierce? Where are you now? I'm in a phone booth a couple of blocks away, the ferry station. Wait for me. I'll be there in ten minutes. That's how I figured, boss. What's this dame want in this warehouse? Get out, Skeet. See? Sure. And then it hits me. Tony Pierce collected a lot of dough from those suckers he claimed. But it don't show up in his bank books. And you checked all the safety boxes in town. So where's the dough? Is that her car over there? Yeah. Hey, that came from inside the warehouse. Come on. It's locked. We'll have to break it down. I'm ready. All right. Again. No shoot. More. That does it. Now. What the? A car skeets. The back of the warehouse. Gone. Must have been parked in that open lot. Whoever was here with Phyllis Gurney got out through this open window. Maybe it was Phyllis. Uh, let's look around. That storage room over there. But a car's out front. Hey, there's a light in that room. Looks like something's on the floor. Burn it. Come on. There's more than a light. There's... Step on the right, quick. She looks dead to me, boss. She is. First the husband gets knocked off, now it's Phyllis. Maybe I was wrong about her coming here for... Hey, I smell cleaning stuff. Her dress is saturated with the skeets. You mean that burning rag was meant to... Holy mackerel. Somebody was out to do a good job, huh? But didn't have time to finish it. The killer even forgot to take the empty bottle. What are you holding her like that for by the top of the neck? Uh, maybe fingerprints. You stay here, skeets. I'm going to put this bottle in my car. Then I'm going to make a couple of phone calls. One of them to the police. Oh, he's just come in, Judge Rossiter. I'm sorry I bothered you. Goodbye. Kid, where have you been? I surely thought you'd gone to resign. There's no hurry, Lee. I can do that an hour from now. You're not going to do it at all. Kit, you must listen. Uh, where were you about 40 minutes ago? Where? I called you here at the office several times. There's no answer. I was downstairs looking for the super... I forgot my keys and he had... I uh, noticed your car downstairs. What's the matter with you? I always leave my ignition key at the garage. I have my car delivered every morning. Oh, I'm sorry. There's been another murder. Oh? Who? Phyllis Gurney. Good heavens. When? About an hour ago. Well, I guess I'd better get cleaned up if I'm going to see Judge Rossiter. You're not resigning, Kit. I'm afraid there's nothing you can do about it, Lee. Uh, where's that bottle of cleaning fluid you bought yesterday? Listen to me, please. Uh, it was standing right there in your desk when I came in last night. You were using it to clean up your typewriter. That's not important now. Don't you realize what's going to happen to you? You'll be called a failure. Uh, look, honey, I want to get these grease spots out of my coat. Will you get me that cleaning fluid? Kit, don't I mean anything to you. Have you been just talking to me about love? Uh, Lee, haven't you got that bottle? Yes, I have it, if that's all you care about. It's in the closet where I put it. You'll worry about grease spots, but I can talk myself sick. Here. Here's the bottle of cleaning fluid. Enjoy yourself. Thanks. I, uh, spoke to Tony Pierce on the phone before I came back here. Of course. You're his buddy now. He is at Locked Lodge. I'm not interested. He couldn't have been in town this morning and gotten back to the lodge so fast. I know he didn't fly. <laughs> hey, did you screw this cap on yourself? Yes. You must have hidden strength. Or would this be a new bottle that had never been opened before? What do you mean? Would you like to make the rounds of the hardware and department stores with me? There aren't too many in this town. I'd like to know what you meant by that, Kit. All right. You're Hope Schuyler. What? Have you gone out of your mind? You weren't kidnapped last night. You just walked out after you listened in on my conversation with Skeets. Isn't that right? No. You heard him tell me about Lark Lodge, the gurneys, and the plane that Hope Schuyler used. So you decided to get rid of the gurneys. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You had chloroform, and you left the odor of it in this room. Then you got in touch with Tony and told him what Skeets had found out. Oh, for pity's sake. The arrest was Operation Frame-Up. You flew to Lark Lodge and phoned me. You know I'd have the call traced. 
In the meantime, Tony was getting Diane ready for her grand entrance. You deliberately told her that you and I were going to be married. You knew how she'd react. You wanted to marry me, didn't you, Kit? Yes. But you never said you would to me. There's a good reason, wasn't there? You're already married to Tony Pierce. What? I found this marriage certificate in the bottom drawer of your dresser. Anthony Pierce, Hope Schuyler. Just one week before you came to work for me. Wedding performed by a justice of the peace upstate. Big secret. Well, what are you going to do about it? Oh. Is that the gun that killed two gurneys? Mm-hmm. Two gurneys and one special prosecutor. Lee, uh, didn't you notice I left the door open when I came in? You what? Now, why do you suppose I did that? To create a draft? Oh. We have a peculiar police department in this town. It likes to be in on everything. Ah, there's only one place in the world that feels like home. The old Rossiter living room. I'm glad you still think so, kid. It's all over, Diane. Lee confessed. Tony confessed. They're going to be tried for murder, and I'm prosecuting. But Tony didn't commit murder. Well, he certainly did. Lee did the shooting, but Tony helped her plan it. Kit, what made you suspect Lee? Up to this morning... A bottle. In fact, she didn't answer the phone at the office. That's all? That's all a fellow needs, honey, to start thinking. After that, I remembered everything. How things began to move after Skeets phoned me about Hope Schuyler. Then the mysterious phone call Lee got at four o'clock in the morning. Who was it, really? Phyllis Gurney. You see... Tony and Lee had been paying the Gurneys to keep quiet about Hope Schuyler. But when Art Gurney was murdered, Phyllis decided it would take a lot of money to compensate her. A hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> well, we all do foolish things sometimes. Diane, would you do me a favor? Of course. After we're married, if I ever look at another woman, would you please... Don't worry, darling. I'll never be selfish again. Oh, no. Be selfish. But if you're going to ruin me, dear, do it with a kiss, huh? <laughs> and so closes tonight's crime club book, Curses Don't Hurry, based on a story by Stephen Ransom. Stedman Coles did the radio adaptation. Roger Bauer produced and directed. In tonight's cast, you heard Sidney Smith as Christopher Chase, Charlotte Lawrence as Lee Dale, Joseph Julian as Keats, Helen Shields was Diane Rossiter, and Larry Haynes was Anthony Pierce. Oh, I beg your pardon. Hello. I hope I haven't kept you waiting. Yes, this is the crime club. I'm the librarian. Yes, come over a week from tonight. Good. We have the very exciting story of an image that was the reflection of death. It's called Death Never Doubles. In the meantime... Well, in the meantime, there's a new Crime Club book available this week and every week at bookstores everywhere. Yes, it's available now. Fine. And we look for you next week. Oh, yes. You've probably jotted down the birthdays and anniversaries to remember during June. Remember that June is Remember Disabled Veterans Month. program came from New York. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. That's Case Closed for this week. There's more from Philip Marlowe, The Crime Club, Case Closed, and all of the other Relic Radio podcasts at relicradio.com. 
our Shoutcast stream is up and running there as well. Alongside the thousands of podcast episodes we've accumulated over the years, all of it is available for free thanks to your support. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Thank you for joining me this Wednesday. I'll be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. Case Closed.